Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 45, The Crew is in Attendance. Richard, how's it going? Hey, guys, what's going on? Seth, what's up? Not much. What's up with you guys? <laughs> Not much. Um, so, we're back. Uh, we have actually a lot to talk about. We were <laughs> actually discussing we might not have a lot to talk about uh, these upcoming podcasts, but um, we have a, a great amount of feedback from, from comments to fish mail, so we're going to spend a great amount of time uh, answering those. There was some really, really good discussion and uh, comments that were made, so thank you, everyone, for that on the uh, podcast article, uh, emails, Twitter. Uh, so we're going to talk about all that. But um, before we get to that, we're just going to touch briefly on GP Pittsburgh and a couple of the quote-unquote unconfirmed spoilers from Oath of the Gatewatch that were released and very kind of controversial. They are not confirmed yet officially, but uh, it's it's leaning towards them being real uh, uh, from what we've been told. So Let's just start off. Uh, we're going to talk about the spoilers first, get this out of the way. So we have three spoilers, and one of them being Kozilek, one of the giant Eldrazi, the big three from uh, the first round, uh, joining us with Ulamog, uh, a, a land and mirror pool, and a new basic land type with wastes. So Richard, Wasteland is in, is in standard. Yeah, be careful for what you wish for. You know, Morrow <laughs> got us here. Got <laughs> Wasteland in standard. Yeah, we got it. Um, so I'll just open it up to you uh, both. Uh, what do you think about the spoilers? Do you feel uh, good about them being real? And what does this do for Magic? Yeah, so first, they're, they're actually leaks, quote-unquote leaks. Uh, they came from MTG Salvation, and uh, they're very high quality. Uh, they look like legitimate cards. The templating is nice. And there was a mod edit on the post that said, uh, these cards came from a reliable source that has posted several cards in the past uh, before they were spoiled, and they turned out to be correct. Uh, so if the mods are to be believed, these are real cards. So that's the preface. Um, but Wizards has never you know, released these or stated anything, so there, there's still that question mark. Having said that, there is a new basic land, Waste. Uh, its mana symbol looks like a diamond. There is some technical name for this, which we couldn't look up. Um, and people are thinking it's the berry land which uh, is a type of land that Morrow has talked about in design blogs it basically means colorless mana uh, except you can't pay for uh, this mana requirement with colored mana right so it's different from the other colorless mana which is where it gets all confusing but it's basically a new color but that color is colorless and you can't use uh, red green black or anything to pay for it. you have to use this new uh, land that generates this new mana type uh, so that is Waste, and uh, along with Waste, we got Kozilek, the Great Distortion, uh, 8, and uh, 2 Waste mana, 2 colorless mana. Uh, legendary Creature Eldrazi, when you cast Kozilek, if you have fewer than 7 cards in hand, draw cards equal to the difference. Uh, Menace, discard a card with converted mana cost X, counter target spell with converted mana cost X, 12, 12. So those are the two uh, spoilers that came on MTG Salvation. Uh, what do you guys think? These cards seem absolutely ridiculous to me. Yeah, we had one more. It's a, it's a mythic land, so I'll, I'll, we'll discuss that too. But just to go on to what you said, Richard, uh, delving a little deeper to try and see if these are real or not. Uh, these were posted from at MTG Focus on Twitter. Uh, it those subsequently those tweets were deleted, so that that is cause to maybe 
believe in in these uh, quote unquote unconfirmed cards. Uh, the the tweets were deleted. And I don't know when this was from. I think it might have been a while ago, but uh, Mark Rosewater did comment on colorless mana being a thing. So, yeah, I mean, Kozilek seems really good. I don't know what's going on with this. the waste mana. It, it makes sense to make colorless mana actually colorless and generic mana actually generic. Just after 25 years of magic, I don't know like what the real big point of it to like the, to do it was in the second set of a two set block and then what do we never see these again that, that's just my big concern at face value Kozilek seems really good uh seems just about as good as ulamog uh you draw a bunch of cards you can disrupting shoal pretty much uh with those cards while it, it's out so it that's pretty powerful and menace obviously is really good for a giant monster so you can't chump block it all day seth what do you think I think they're definitely real. I mean, obviously, like we said, unconfirmed, but one of the things people look for is if the art has been posted anywhere, because that's one of the ways people make mock-ups is to find, like, on DeviantArt or someplace, a image of Kozilek or in the articles that have been released on the mothership and then use that art to make a fake card, but... From what everyone, what I've heard, none of this art is publicly available, which is another reason these cards are likely the real deal. As far as the the diamond mana or whatever we're going to call it, it really doesn't offend me as much as everyone (laughs) else seems to be offended. To me, I look at it and I think that it's basically like a gimmicky snow mana thing. Like we saw the same thing. There were creatures in Cold Snap that could only, their activated ability cost like two colorless in one snow mana, which basically meant you had to use a snow land or a creature that produced snow mana somehow to activate the ability. To me, this looks like the same thing that basically, I don't know. I don't think this is the new like six color in the game of magic. I think this is a gimmick for Oath of the Gatewatch in a one set thing. It's a little weird that they would do it in the second set of the block, but if it's just a one set thing, Whatever. It's just a mechanic like any other mechanic. It'll come and go, and I don't think it'll have any overarching impact on the game as a whole. This will probably cap off our favorite two uh, set blocks, Seth. So I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this this is probably the icing on the cake. I mean, uh, this will end up being our favorite set or our favorite block of all time, I think, Seth. I mean, talk about parasitic, though. Like, that was one of our <laughs> biggest complaints about... Right. about Battle for Zendikar, and now you have to tap a new basic land called Waste to cast your Eldrazi? Like, yeah. seriously? <laughs> yeah, they, like, they have, like, no continuity now. It's just so confusing, like, for what, right? Like, why do you have Kozilek using this new mana type but not Ulamog, right? Like, why do you have Devoid creatures? You have, like, colored, colorless creatures, and then now you have, like, actual... Special colorless creatures in addition to generic colored creatures that are artifact. Like, what is the point of this, right? Like, yeah, I, I don't know that it's worth it. And, you know, you have all the old cards you need to interact with, right? Like, cards that say fetch an island, swamp, forest, etc. You know, it doesn't include waste. You can't use those cards with this new land, right? Uh, so the templating on the old cards is weird. Are they going to go back and change them? Uh, same with things like Sol Ring. Does it produce to waste mana now, or does it still produce to generic mana? Uh, it's just, like, so confusing for, you know, what you would think is a flavor reason, but, you know, is this really necessary? Like, 
it, it's just I don't know. I, it's just so much complexity for the new player that I, I don't know that it's worth it. Like it's been like this for 25 years or whatever. Like, do we need to change it right now? Right? Is our Eldrazi like that crazy that we need to turn the you know Magic Universe upside down? Right. I mean, you basically nailed it, Richard. 100%. I mean, you, you talk about new player, right? So here in the first set, you have Eldrazi. In the second set, you have the very same Eldrazi, no difference, but now you're using different colored mana on these Eldrazi. So no continuity. Like, why are you suddenly using different mana to cast the same exact Eldrazi that you were in the first set when Ulamog's 10 generic and Kozilek's 8 but 2 waste mana now? Like, they're like... I don't know. I mean, even for an older player, you can't really, like... I'm even confused, so... <laughs> the, the part that gets me is that any deck that is casting 10-drop Eldrazi or the more expensive Eldrazi has colorless mana anyway, so if all this means is you have to literally pay two colorless mana that can't come from colored sources, it doesn't impact anything. Like, in Modern, Tron is the only deck that's hard-casting Eldrazi, and they have a ton of colorless lands anyway. In Standard, those decks are playing Shrine of the Forsaken Gods with shafts for two colorless. Like, it's just not even a deck-building restriction. It's just this weird, like, flavor thing as Richard mentioned that doesn't I don't know what the benefit really is of doing it this way right I, I totally agree it, it's just I don't know well let's talk about Kozilek himself what do you guys think to me I, he's insanely broken but uh. yeah I, it's very very strong I mean obviously you're getting something when you cast it regardless if it's countered or not so that's really good um I, I think uh, they were the the red green Tron list were starting to adopt uh, the the new Ulamog or Nuamog or Ulamog 2.0 whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I think this would straight up just replace that card um, because this is a ton of card advantage for that deck that sometimes is really needed. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I would think they would want to use it, but maybe just two Vindicates on cast is just strictly better. I mean, I think, like, uh, the new Ulamog might be better just because it takes care of ensnaring bridge or, like, right. certain troubling cards uh, that could lock down the Tron deck in Modern, even though drawing potentially up to seven cards is a ton. And I'm also not sure how much Tron can abuse the discard a card with converted mana cost X counter spell X because they have so many expensive cards that don't really line up with other decks. Like, you right. don't have that much to discard, really. <laughs> yeah, like, I dare you to play a seven mana cost card. <laughs> I will discard this card so fast. <laughs> yeah, man, they got Expedition Maps, Ancient Stirrings, like, yeah, you want to pass so. my Kozilek? Good luck, right? Yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, I guess, yeah, stuff. they have Expedition Map, they have, like, Pyroclasm, so... I got, yeah. I got your 15 drops are on lock. If you ever <laughs> cast a 15 drop, it, it is it getting is. countered. <laughs> so fast, yeah. Emrakul Mirror. <laughs> Can't be Cast, countered, though. No, I, I think it's a solid card. Definitely uh, something to do with 10 mana. I don't. It, it'll be interesting which uh, giant Eldrazi will win in the terms of what, what people will be playing. Maybe they play both. But uh, Ulamog and Kozilek are definitely really good. Doesn't, uh, I'll say that. Doesn't Menace seem weird on there? It to, does. To me, Menace, like, it just strikes me as odd for some reason. It needs to be, like, Menace 5 or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one guy can't block this. You know, one Lingering Souls token can't block Kozilek. But two, when they, when they team up, <laughs> they got Kozilek's number, right? Like, it yeah. should be, like, a much larger number. Right? Yeah, it really should. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a little weird, especially because it's like, you. 
I don't I don't know why like maybe the template of the card like you have one large ability, another like really good ability, and then squeezed in there in the middle is just menace. So it's like oh you could you could almost like read right over it. I don't know. Maybe it's just a templating. It's just funny to me. I know, like, playing it on Magic Online, there's going to be tons of times where I have an opponent who keeps trying to block with one creature, and they get that <laughs> error message on Moto, like, illegal blocks, please try again and do that for, like, 20 times in a row. <laughs> I wonder how many people are going to actually have to pick this up and read it, uh, you know, down, in, like, in the future when we're seeing it on camera. Like, what? Wait, oh, it has Menace, too? Oh, I never noticed that. Yeah, so really good. I don't know what's going on with the basic land thing, but there was another mythic land, Mirror Pool. Uh, Mirror Pool enters the battlefield tap, tap to add a waste mana to your mana pool. Two and a waste tap, sacrifice Mirror Pool, copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. Four and a waste tap, sacrifice Mirror Pool, put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of target creature you control. That's ridiculous. This card is insane. Like, that's ridiculous. So so good. This card is busted. Yeah, that's talk vintage. about vintage. Play it with if it really is just pay colorless mana and you can like copy your lodestone golem for like the lock in uh oh, in right. the stack yeah, stack. Yeah, yeah, you got you got lotus. You got workshop. I mean, that's nothing, right? Assuming those things can pay for this waste. Right. And you don't yeah, have to play the actual waste maybe we... <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> so confusing. The wasteland, but not wasteland. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we get a new errated soul ring uh, workshop where they all tap for waste this time. But I mean, seriously, this is a land, so it doesn't cost you a spell slot. Right. And it is costed, like, pretty efficiently i would expect a land that can clone to be like you'd have to pay seven or eight mana and sacrifice it but this is like one mana more than the typical clone that we see in standard and you're not using a spell slot in your deck like assuming that the the diamond mana waste mana works like we think to me this card just seems completely busted yeah that is insane i mean yeah i mean you just throw any deck could play this. I mean, you throw a couple pain lands in your deck, you're good, right? I mean, if that's the way waste works, this is not really that big of a deal. And foils, like every single, I'm I'm just learning about Commander and EDH, but from my limited <laughs> understanding of that format, every single deck created in that format will want to play Mirror Pool, unless the color restriction somehow gets in the way. Like if you can't play Diamond Mana, unless you have a Diamond right. Color General. If it, if you can play it in every deck, this card will be in every EDH and Commander deck there is. Like, it's just great for anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is interesting. I did not think about that. Maybe you will have to, and in that case, uh, I guess there's going to be a lot of Kozilek, uh, the Great Distortion General <laughs> shenanigans going on. Someone asked, I think, is it Sheldon? Is Sheldon Mennery? Is he the head Commander guy? But I think he is. They asked yeah. on Twitter how that would work, and he declined to comment because he doesn't comment on unconfirmed cards he said so the the question is still up in the air how this will work in commander i Fair think enough. you can't use it because the rules say the symbol like the the symbol needs to be yeah under commander well boo <laughs> but i don't know I'm, I'm more concerned about standard itself <laughs> i mean standard with uh... standard modern i mean mirror pool i mean no i don't maybe not modern i mean you can't really storm into this i don't know I mean, it's just value, really do right? it's, Yeah, You, can you can't do anything. Any like, spells. So if you, yeah. you just have another choice for your utility land slot, right? 
Right. I mean, again, you need this waste le- like waste mana, but I mean, Tron is getting a lot of stuff and that's kind of scary. So, <laughs> I don't know. If you I mean, think about like having Mirror Pool and Tron and you could just copy another uh Worm Coil engine. That just uh, Yeah. That's messed up. The other good news is uh, Bring to Light gets more powerful here. <laughs> right? You can use yeah, your base sure. mana as a different it, no, they converge. Well, yeah, it the sure does. thing is, though, I was thinking about this, and is there ever a situation where it's beneficial? I mean, I guess with these new cards, maybe, but beneficial to play colorless mana over just a fourth or fifth regular color? Like, if you're trying to get your bring to light up to five, why would you play... Is, is like, there a six-mana converge card? <laughs> there is not a six-mana converge card. They only go up to five or less. There's drop the ball here. Where's <laughs> the synergy? What is the well, two basic lad types? Well, I guess it's because, like, let's just say, like, Jeskai, maybe they don't splash red, but they splash... Colorless. <laughs> right. So it's blue... Uh, blue, red, or whatever. So that would be you know, any... Jeskai colorless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Running> mirror pool. <laughs> for well, it wouldn't be Jeskai anymore. It would be like blue, yeah, we're get... white, colorless. <laughs> we're going to need new clan names for colorless. Oh, God. <laughs> See, this is this is what I'm talking about. They just, I don't know. I, I'm still skeptical because it would just make a lot of things really weird, but especially if it's a one-time thing, I, I don't know, but. It's mean, like Snowlands were a mistake, right? Snow Snow was just so confusing. Was it considered a good mechanic? Like no, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was a mistake. So why I mean, do the, it again? The only card in like Magic history that ever cared about snow was Scred, and like every other snow related card was like basically trash. So I don't know. Scred was like the only good card. I think that ever came out of those snow requirement stuff. Well, and the problem is it's just so restricted, right? If you only get one small set that contains this mechanic, like it's going to be really hard to make a modern deck. Like I've tried like scrying sheets seems like a really powerful ability. If you could play all snow permanents and basically draw an extra card every turn for two mana, that would be pretty insane on a land. But there's just, like you said, not enough good snow creatures. So it'll be interesting to see if this new mana falls into the same problem. Like, are we really going to get enough waste mana cards in standard yeah. to build a deck? Or is this just going to be another like throwaway mechanic and, aspect of uh the set so i told you it's going to be our favorite what mo- like best constructed two set block of all time and by the time we're done Seth, I, you yeah. know what the biggest problem with waste is you can't fetch them no you it's can't coming fetch lands we're gonna <laughs> get new fetch lands. Unless, unless they well doesn't terramorphic expanse get them yeah no right evolving wilds i think because it says basic land and that's a yeah basic land. Oh. all right evolving wilds the new meta <laughs> Buy him now. <laughs> but, I mean, like, this is just messed up. Like, uh, assume, like, what happened to Eldrazi Aggro? Right? Like, it's a colored deck because all your Devoid creatures need color. There you assuming go. Assuming that you're going to get some waste creatures now. <laughs> now you have, like, some four-color Eldrazi colorless aggro deck that can't fetch well, any lands. Like, I don't well, know what's going on. Well, couldn't you just replace all the generic lands with, like... Like, if you were using mountains or whatever and just replace them all with waste? No, because you need them, because your Eldrazi <laughs> actually costs color, right? You yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this is why I'm really skeptic, because it would, it would just undermine, like, everything they were doing in the first set. They, like, yeah, you had so many Eldrazi with color, like, colored mana cost in, in them and color manner, uh, matters in their mana cost, even though they have Devoid. But then you have, like, waste, so now you even can't, like, cast, like, how are you going to be able to cast a turn to, uh, what was the, what was the card? Forerunner the one in your deck? Forerunner of Slaughter. Yeah, Forerunner of Slaughter. Yeah, like, 
How are you? Yeah, the Forerunner. Yeah, anti synergy. That's why I thought these were fake when I initially saw these. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. But when when there was the edit thing, it was a reliable source. I'm like, oh no, what have they done? (laughs) What have they done? As as long as official name is Mega Colorless Mana, then I'll be fine with it. <laughs> we almost got there. What was our other favorite one? They still need to do it. Uh, become Famous or something yeah. like that? <laughs> yes, instead of Renown, you're supposed to become famous. <laughs> I really wish they went with Become Famous, man. That would be... That would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been pretty sweet. I, I, you know what? At the end of the day, I, I think everyone's going to complain. But once they see those expeditions, everything goes out the window. As <laughs> oh, long as we get like a, yeah. a wasteland expedition, people don't give a shit what's in the set. Let's be honest. Yeah. And SCG is already selling pre-orders of fat packs for 50 bucks, apparently. Reddit informed me. Ar- oh, already, so already, here we go again. Yep. <laughs> here we go again. Because you need those four new waste arts, right? Well, what, what's Noah Bradley waste art going to look like? That's, that's what we need to find out next. Yeah. No, but I mean, if you look on Mass Drop, I mean, you can get some uh, solid uh, Battle for Zendikar boxes at like $83 <laughs> plus shipping. So it pays to be patient, I guess. Yeah. Don't don't uh wait, overhype yourself. Wait for no Just... one to want to play the statue. <laughs> the <prices laughs> yeah. come down. There, there you go. When everyone's seeing wastes and they don't like they can't build their Eldrazi uh aggro decks anymore because it doesn't make sense. You just you get uh cheap boxes, I guess. Alright, well, enough with that. Hopefully I mean for for now it looks like they're real, quote unquote, but they're still unconfirmed from Wizards, so uh, moving along, Modern is underway, GP Pittsburgh happened. Did either of you watch it? Because I watched a good amount of it. Nope. I watched I watched some of it, here and there. And here you were trying to get into Modern, Richard. Come on. I actually play Modern every week, and it wow. doesn't interest me, like, because it's kind of like Legacy, where the meta is so different where you're playing, that, like, it doesn't really matter what's happening on camera, but... All right, you get a you get a pass this time because for a long string there they were just showcasing Bloom Titan anyway, so uh, I didn't really watch those. <laughs> I think like it was like a good almost like four rounds. Uh, I like the new like time shifted like re like fast forwarded thing to kind of fill in the gaps. That was good, but like when you have like four of them in a row featuring Bloom Titan, it's like kind of much. So yeah. Um, anyway, Alex Bianchi took it down with Jeskai Twin. I uh, haven't seen the Jeskai version of Twin in a while. Uh, really go deep into a tournament and take it down. Uh, but a pretty diverse top eight. I mean, you got Jeskai Twin. You got a couple Affinity, Craig Wesco, Green White Hate Bears, Grixis Control, Blue Red Twin, Scapeshift Turbo, or Scapeshift Giant, or Titan, or whatever you want to call it. Awesome deck. And then rounding it out, another Blue Red Twin. But... I mean, it was a really good top eight, even though there was a lot of twin, a couple affinity. It was pretty diverse. I mean, if you look at the top 32 list, that's it's pretty diverse, too. The day two meta was broken down. Uh, there was a lot of archetypes uh, represented in the day two. So, Seth, what did you think? It was pretty sweet. I really liked a couple of the decks. The Grixis control deck looked incredibly grindy and awesome every time I saw it on camera. It seems like the kind of deck I would want to play. Uh, Affinity is still good, apparently, and it had some pretty impressive matches where it was beating people through turn two Stony Silence, which just shows how resilient that deck is. Stony Silence is the best possible sideboard card you can have against Affinity, and when it wins those matches, the deck is absolutely insane. 
So, and Jeskai Twin is neat. Like, <laughs> some people have been talking about how Twin wasn't as much of a problem anymore, but maybe it's just that it needed to evolve a little bit, and uh, the Jeskai version apparently is still pretty good because it took down the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Twin has been a pretty stable uh, deck for as long as Modern has been in existence since 2011. I mean, it's obviously not going anywhere, and unless they ban Splinter Twin, I mean, the deck is going to be putting up good results. I mean, pretty much all the time. It's a great uh, deck. Um, Theon Mugen, though, this scapeshift list is amazing. I don't know. Like, I don't know about you, but I love this list. It's a three hundred dollar list, which is yeah, uh, it's what caught my eye because this right, is all thousand dollar decks, and here's this like three hundred dollar scapeshift deck. Uh, the most expensive cards are scapeshift fetches and primeval titan, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I, once you get through that, I mean, you're good. But this deck is awesome. I don't know. Maybe you're not too in on scapeshift, uh, Seth, but I mean, this was awesome. It's cool to see Colony Heart Expedition see play. That reminds me of the old, like, standard decks that was, like, right, a stable, yeah. but no one's really played it in modern. So it's the build is interesting, and it has Commune with Lava, which I don't think I've ever seen in modern before. I don't think we've ever seen it, like, period. Yeah. So, <laughs> definitely not in modern. But the, the thing is, is the, the thing I like, the couple little uh, switches here and going, like, the just the blue-red route, dropping blue, and then you do get Commune with Lava, which is interesting because it kind of acts like Bring to Light, like what Bring to Light does with the blue, like it acts as another chance to get Scapeshift if you don't draw it. Uh, Commune with Lava basically does the same thing. I mean, this deck can power out a lot of mana. Uh, at the end of their turn, it's an instant, so basically you're digging a good amount of cards deep to get your Scapeshift or anything else, a Titan, uh, a Primal Command, anything you really need. Uh, so I thought that was a really interesting add at, at a two-of. Yeah, and four main deck Relic of Progenitus is pretty good in the modern field. Like, that's one of the big reasons to play Tron, actually, apart from, like, your yeah. powerful late game. But being able to play four Relics main deck just accidentally wins some matches that you'll run into. And we were talking about how modern's so wide open, and it's nice to just get these free wins from such a low opportunity cost card. So the deck just had four free slots for some hate cards. I mean, yeah, well, at worst, I mean, you're just taking away, uh, like, a Grixis control. Well, the, see, the thing is, its worst matchups are, like, the grindy matchups, like Grixis control and uh, twin and stuff like that. Like, so you need to be able to interact with, uh, you know, keeping their spells out of the graveyard for Delve, uh, keeping, like, messing up their Snapcaster or Jace Vren's Prodigy uh, targets. And then at most, I mean, at the very least, you could just cycle it. So, uh, yeah. I mean, Affinity is probably a really hard matchup for this, but if you if you could jam, like, a Primeval Titan real early and get into a Scape Shift... You got three Angers and three Nature's Claim in the board. Right, in the so. board. Right. I mean, main deck, it's it's a little tough, but... I don't know anyone who beats Affinity main deck. <laughs> you yeah. You to bring it, in those Stony Silences and Ice yeah. and Angers. Yeah. Uh, so you got Obstinate... Ba- it, the, the, the sideboard's really basically aimed towards its worst matchups. I mean, you could really see there. Uh, the Nature's Claim, Rending Bali, Anger, Crumble to Dust, Obstinate Valot, those... It just has a really hard time against, like, the real speedy aggro decks and the real grindy stuff. But it beats up on, like, the mid-range stuff all day. Yeah, this deck's pretty cheap. I might actually just build it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun. fun. 
Uh, it plays yeah. four Cinder Glades, though. I'm going to have to buy some standard cards for this. <laughs> yeah. But well, it, yeah, there you go. Get some uh, Expedition Cinder Glade. That's it, interesting. One it, stomping ground in four Cinder Glades. I just noticed that. That's that's yeah, right. It's a well, mono green deck, basically. Right? Yeah. <laughs> With, uh, you just fetch mountains for Valakut. Right. Well, the the reason for that is, Seth, is because it doesn't matter with Valakut, and you're trying to not, like, kill yourself with your own mana base, so, like I said, it's the, 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 the speedy aggro decks are kind of a problem, so... I mean, it's not, it's not bad to fetch for these on turn one and have them come into play tap. And you're searching out so many basics with Secure Tribe Elder, Farseek, the Expedition, Search for Tomorrows, that in the even on turn three or turn four, for sure, everything will be coming into play untapped anyway. You'll have enough right. basics. Right. So, again, paying two life on the stopping ground uh, is actually a big deal for this deck. Interesting. Yeah. It was really fun. Uh, the GP Pittsburgh was awesome. Uh, definitely kicked off modern with a, you know, a great tournament. It was very diverse. The, just to look at the, um, the day two meta breakdown, they, you know, bunched them all in at archetype. So twins showed up at 37 copies, affinity 32, Jun 27, zoo 23 and Tron 20, and then all the way down. Uh, so, um, fun. Uh, actually it's, it's funny because scapeshift only had nine, copies of all all types of scape shift at nine on day two one of them got into the top eight so it's pretty good moving along uh we have some like i said in the beginning of the cast we have some really good topics to discuss uh some really good comments and fish mail that were aimed toward us and thank you very much for sending them in we're going to talk about them now and these are just really really good really good stuff so take it away richard okay so we have two questions that are kind of similar so we're going to group them together yeah. Um, so one of them is from Andrew Phil uh, via email. Uh, I've stopped playing a lot of Magic because it has become way too expensive. I know a lot of what you guys are trying to do is help people afford the hobby. I'm curious if you guys think that Wizards should take more steps in general to make it less expensive, more accessible. Uh, this is particularly uh, blaring with Magic Online when you compare it to other computer games, just in price, uh, just in terms of price for content, let alone quality. Uh, and then he goes on to say that, uh, you know, has Wizards acknowledge Hearthstone as a competitor, or will the lack of competition mean we are stuck dealing with Magic Online? So uh, his comment is, Magic is too expensive. Should Magic or Wizards do something about Magic Online? Uh, get more into the digital space to compete with price and uh, lower the barrier of entry. And we have a second question, uh, which is similar. Uh, we are looking at the first $1,000 deck. This is a game. It is played and paid for entertainment. Currently, other kinds of entertainment consists of video games and board games. So my question is this. I can buy a 60-inch TV, a PlayStation 4, and a couple games for the price of one deck in standard. <laughs> what is the incentive to play Magic the Gathering? Uh, I can only play Magic uh, at certain times at uh, scheduled events at my local game store. My PS4 I can play anytime, online for free, and then I can watch TV after I'm done. And I'm saying this as a heavily invested Magic player. Um, so, you know, should Wizards be taking proactive steps to dramatically drop the cost of uh, playing the game? So two great comments on... Magic is too expensive, especially compared to other things in the space, uh, such as a PS4 or even Hearthstone. Uh, what do you guys think Wizards should be doing about the situation? 
Yeah, so the second one was a comment on the recent podcast article. Uh, thank you again from Henry Sitko. Uh, sorry if I'm butchering your name, but it was, it, again, both really good uh, questions. Um, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, to, to answer them, to, to give the short answer, Wizards should do something about Moto. I recently, with the help of Seth, have, have now ventured onto MTGO and... My initial reaction, just as someone who's never touched the program before, has never really got into MTGO, they, they, it, would, it would be good if they really kind of got with the times. Um, for me, I think the biggest thing about MTGO that I just don't like is, like, the interface and just the, the client in general is very clunky. Like, it, it's not very smooth, and it's just, it just feels old and outdated. And I, and I think it would do them a great justice to kind of get with the times, rework it, and, and come out with a better uh, version and, and UI. And it, it just get rid of all the clunkiness and make it more intuitive. So that's, that's just for me. I, I, don't, I haven't run into trouble, trouble of, you know, a ton of crashing or lagginess. I mean, I have a very good um, computer. I, you know, built it for games. I, I do some um, – work for for when I was in school and uh, for stuff like that for design so I have a pretty good rig uh, and I don't really ever have any issues on that end but uh, just again the UI the clunkiness so um, in terms of what they're doing for magic to make it more affordable I think they're starting to do that I mean when you look at it, I mean, they're reprinting a lot of stuff. They're adding a lot more supplemental product that is low-costed that you kind of get a lot of value in. I mean, if you just look at the latest, um, what was it, the event deck, right, with uh, Hangerback Walker. What was that, Battle for Zendikar? Uh, Magic Origins, I believe. Magic Origins. I mean, you're, you're starting to get a lot of stuff to kind of bring down the prices of a lot of things. Um, I think the new block cadence, while it does seem like it's not going. It, it might increase the cost. Um, you might be spending more, you know, with rotation. But I think the cost of the cards overall will be coming down. So I don't know. I think they're taking the steps so far to to answer the question very briefly. Um, I'll go into more of a deeper explanation once Richard and Seth have a chance to answer. So Richard. Yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree with you in that the price of magic is going down. Like it, it is going down, but it's still magic prices. And right, right. We see this a lot uh, with budget magic, where Seth puts out a hundred dollar budget deck, which is cheap in terms of magic terms, right? Like you know, a tier one standard deck is eight eight hundred dollars or five hundred dollars. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still paying a hundred dollars for seventy five pieces of cardboard, and yep. You know, people want a $5 deck. They want a $10 deck, right? They want to play for free, right? Not everyone is a hardcore grinder willing to spend thousands of dollars in their deck. And I think this is uh, a big problem, right? Like, you know, you, you could just go buy a computer game for $20 and get, you know, 80 hours of gameplay out of it, right? Or you could buy some pieces of cardboard and, you know, I don't know how many months of F&Ms you need to play to reach 80 hours, right? So there, there is a big problem with price. Um, people who already play the game kind of have accepted it, right? So, like, we all kind of accept that decks cost $500 and, you know, we, we play it and it's fine for us. But for new players, it's a huge turnoff and uh, there's no easy way to ease into it. It's you have a $500 deck or not. You know, having three cards doesn't really let you play the game. And they end up having to play you know, budget decks that are suboptimal or not as competitive, they end up getting crushed because they're, you know, both a new player and they have a subpar deck, and then they just don't play the game. So that aspect needs to somehow be worked at, and I think Magic Online would be the perfect place to kind of address that. 
you could have the Hearthstone model of daily quests and, you know, log in once a day and earn, you know, some free cards or something to kind of get your way towards a tier one standard deck. Uh, it's less feasible in paper, but I think Magic Online is where they got to, you know, ease in the new players. Or I guess Duels of the Planeswalker is, is kind of doing that, but there's no transition from duels to paper. So maybe if they complete that process, uh, Redemption or something, I don't know, maybe that could get new players in the door. But, you know, convincing friends that are gamers, uh, or, you know, even people that play chess or things like that, to play Magic is very difficult, uh, you know, when they have that $1,000 price tag kind of looming over top of everything. Go ahead, Seth. Very good points, Richard. Uh, All right, I I have a few thoughts. First off, as far as Paper Magic... Prices are going to normalize this spring. Like, we've talked at length in articles and on other podcasts about the perfect storm of events with Battle for Zendikar being subpar, fetches, plus the Battle for Zendikar duels. Like, all these things that combine Jace, Gideon, to make standards so expensive. And those things are going to be changing with rotation this spring. And Magic will still not be cheap. You're still going to pay 300 or 400 or maybe 500 even for certain decks for a standard deck. But it's not going to be a land of 800 and $1,000 decks like it is right now. This is literally unprecedented, at least in modern times that we've been able to research where every deck is so expensive. So it's not going to be like this forever. So my advice on the paper world is if that's the position you're in, just wait. Like, I hate saying that. Or play a different format. Play Pauper or play some limited events. But don't buy into a $1,000 standard deck that's going to rotate in four months from now and wait for the prices to normalize this spring. As far as Magic Online, personally, I don't think Magic Online is overpriced. I think that there's two things you really got to consider. First off, With Magic, unlike Hearthstone and a lot of other games, you have this resale value where if you buy a card for 50 tickets, you can immediately resell that card for real cash money for like $45. So you're even though there's a high initial investment, which is a problem and a big barrier for new players entering Magic Online, you are getting something back from this money you put in, which is how... I personally have been able to justify putting money into Magic Online because I know I have that money there, and if I ever had to for some reason, I would be able to get that investment back out of the program, which isn't true in other games. And the other thing you got to remember with Magic Online is Wizards can't make it too good and too cheap because unlike Hearthstone... They are a paper game company, and their main goal is to sell booster boxes and booster packs and supplemental products of their paper product. If they ever got to the point where Magic Online, you could draft for $2, and the program was so awesome, what, and you could do everything you do in Paper Magic, what would the point be for a lot of people to go and do a $15 draft at their local game store if they could have a great experience doing a $2 draft in their underwear, sitting in their room at any time of day. Like, they can't make, they can't cannibalize their paper product, or they aren't willing to, to make Magic Online that cheap and that efficient. That's why they try to keep prices roughly the same. So you can't just, uh, you don't have the motivation to just be purely a Magic Online player and not play the paper game. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they really have to, like I said, make some real big changes on MTGO and, and make that a really good... Uh, I mean, we've been saying this on cast multiple times, so we're we're going to say it again. I mean, it, it's just ignorant not to consider Hearthstone a competitor. I mean, I just that's just ignorant. I mean, I don't know what justifies you not thinking they're a competitor, but they, they are. 
and they need to be able to get with the times and make MTGO. I mean, just like I said, the bare minimum, make the UI, make the client, I mean, not clunky. If they were going to make it Magic Online cheap, you would be, it would be Duels of the Planeswalker. With limited right. functionality, you wouldn't be able to do real competitive drafts and so on. I don't think they, they would give the same product they're giving in paper at, the, at a huge discount over their paper prices, because I think they believe that would hurt their, their product and their brand overall. As far as improving the interface, I'm all with you on that. Like It should be more intuitive. It should be less clunky and easier for a new player to get on and build a deck and figure... like. When I was trying to help you get started, you couldn't figure out, and I've had multiple people tell me this, like an event ticket. Like, is this what I use to enter an event? Like, how do I actually buy cards to make a deck? Like, it's not clearly presented to people and you're not the only person that I've had that conversation with so it's there are some big barriers to entry even beyond the price just with how Magic Online is set up. Yeah, so on on paper versus Magic Online... I agree with Seth in his analysis of the situation that Wizards doesn't want Magic Online to cannibalize paper, but I think that's just the wrong decision. Like, it, it's such an old school way of thinking. Um, I don't know what the numbers of Hearthstone versus Magic as a whole is, but I'm willing to bet Hearthstone makes a ton of money only in the digital space. And if Magic has to uh, withdraw from the paper space and go digital and be, you know, 10 times bigger, like, what's wrong with that? Right. And ironically, what ends up happening is uh, you have all these local tournaments anyway. All the Hearthstone players get together for a local tournament where they play Hearthstone online. Right. So you, you end up having these land type events anyway. So that's how you bring it back to paper. But, you know, in, in this age, we don't have time to set aside five hours to go to our local game store to play FNM. Right. We want to play 20 minutes, pack up and go. And digital allows you to do this. And Magic just, you know, Wizards just doesn't want to invest in digital. And I'm not sure why, right? Like, they can evolve. They can make all this great uh, Magic IP. Like, imagine if there was a Magic the Gathering League of Legends game. Right? We have plenty of uh, characters and abilities and things like that. Uh, you can use your IP in other areas, right? You, you could make a Hearthstone-like game uh, where you had simpler mechanics, but it was very polished and it used uh, the, the Magic IP. And we, we see part of this, like the Puzzle Quest game they had recently, but... For some reason, these things aren't marketed, right? The uh, the Magic board game uh, they also have. Like, these things are just not marketed. They're, they're kind of just made, and, like, no one ever talks about them ever again. So, uh, you know, Wizards doesn't really invest in their IP and doesn't really look to the future. They're kind of just keeping paper going as is status quo, and it's making money, but it's not growing, like, you know, immensely like some of these other properties we've seen, which I think is just a problem with their vision or... I don't know their 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 company metaphor or their company uh, strategic visions and things like that. So I don't I don't know. I don't particularly like how Magic is growing, and I think Hearthstone will force their hand. I think Hearthstone will continue to grow and just make tons of money, and Wizards will you know Hasbro will be forced to take a look and do something about it. Right. Well, we talked about this last cast too, just specifically Hearthstone. I mean, the longer Hearthstone goes along too, the more you'll actually have to spend to as a new person starting to play Hearthstone. To catch up to everyone else. I mean, I know it does have a free model where you can kind of grind coins and you don't really ever have to spend money. But I mean, as it goes along, uh, Seth, I know you mentioned someone, someone writing this up on Reddit where that's becoming obsolete because there's just so much more content now 
than there was in the beginning of the game. So maybe as they go along, they will kind of alleviate that issue. But I mean, at some point, I mean, it it is correct. I mean, it's going to be hard to grind a bunch of coins when you need so many different cards from each set. You need so many different cards from all these wings that they, these kind of uh, solo adventures they, they put out. So eventually it's going to be like magic where, you know, you're kind of playing a lot of catch up. Um, But that's how they make money, right? You don't want to grind it. So you go buy it. Right. Right. Of course. Like, I, I don't know that people are disappointed when they spend, like, you know, $20 for a new Hearthstone expansion. Like, from my understanding, from what I read, like, people are always ecstatic. Like, wow, this is the greatest expansion ever. And, you know, the adventures are really well done and totally worth right. $20 because you got, you know, basically 20, 30, you know, 20 or 30 hours of DLC, plus you have new right. cards to play with forever. Right. Well, how, how good do you feel when, like, you still can't make a really good Hearthstone deck? Like, let's just say, uh, to use an example... The new, um, like if you were just starting out, the new solo adventure was this new League of Explorers thing, right? And you buy the League of Explorers thing and you still can't make a deck pretty much because you need so many other cards for a competitive Hearthstone deck. I know you could That's true, but like how much does it actually cost to build a competitive Hearthstone deck? Like if if you just like actually bought all the packs, grinded them down to dust and like crafted it, it's only a couple hundred, right? Yeah, probably not as much, yeah. Whereas Uh, that doesn't even get you a mana base and standard yet, right? I mean, (laughs) there there is resale value, but I don't know that most people going into it like with a strict financial... You know, we, you know, like, oh, you know, this will go up in price in a couple of years. You know, if I take off 10% transaction fees, I'll come on ahead and <laughs> right. better than my well, stocks. You know, like people don't do that, right? They're just like, $200, right. this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I'm just going right. to take a vacation to Mexico or something, right? Like, well, they don't, they don't have to be like in tune that much, but they'll know at least like, let's just say, you know, I actually ran some numbers. Uh, I'm actually putting together an article, which is actually really interesting. I talked to you about this, Seth. Um, the average... I put I put the top 15 decks on MTG Goldfish, the top 15 archetypes. The average of those 15 decks is $986. So, I mean, you don't have to be going into it saying, oh, you know, if I buy now, they'll increase or decrease and all that. I mean, if you were to buy the deck straight up, I know it's a lot of money up front, $1,000 for a deck. Uh, there is a good amount of re- resale value. You are going to get a good amount of that. It's kind of like video games where... You know, maybe not so much the games, but if you buy a PS4 right now, I mean, I looked it up this morning, right, Seth? Um, you're getting 50% of your uh, investment on the PS4, and that's your main asset. So um, there is some resale value, and you don't have to be that in tune to know that, all right, when I'm done and I don't want to play Magic anymore or whatever, I don't have time to play, what have you. I could sell this $1,000 Affinity deck for, you know, a, a good margin, like a good return, a decent enough return where... Um, you know, I'm going to get some money back. I mean, if you bought this deck, if you bought Affinity in 2011, you're essentially playing the same deck you were playing in 2011, you know, plus minus some cards. And not only did you buy it cheaper in 2011, uh, I know for a fact we looked at some of the cards. Uh, I'll be including this in my write-up, but you made money if you bought it back in 2011. So, I mean, you're never going to get that resale value on other on other hobbies. Uh, a couple other numbers to throw out there. Uh, I've been looking. Uh, so the average golfer, so the average American golfer, I'm just using averages here. Uh, the median cost for 18 holes of golf at a public course on the weekend is $36. Um, and then uh, you play about once a week or 46 rounds per year av- on average. So you're spending, what, $1,600, $1,650 a year annually 
to play golf, and that's just your entry fees. That's not taking into account your clubs or, you know, restocking golf balls or, you know, maybe your gloves get worn out or whatever. You have to buy more gloves. That's just playing per year, $1,650. You know, uh, I even looked at a IGN survey done in 2005. Uh, Gamers are spending, on average, $700 or more a year. Uh, They broke it down, $341 on console titles. $233 on PC games and another $140 on accessories. I mean, how much, how much resale are you going to get from that? So if you want to look at it as an entertainment value, you spend a thousand dollars on a modern deck, you're good for a few years. Uh, I think my research is going to basically lead me towards, I mean, if you want to play magic at a, at a good rate and get a lot of value out of your deck and best bang for your buck. I mean, I think you're going to lean towards modern. The problem is, like, you can always pick the data to make it look good. Like, we can make magic right. look really cheap. You know, if, like, if you buy coffee every day at Starbucks, that's, like, 5 bucks a day times yeah. you know, every day a year. That's, like, a you know, that's, like, $1,500 or whatever, right? That's, like, ridiculously expensive. Magic is so cheap compared to it, right? Or you could say your hobby is reading. You can get books from the library for free. Your hobby costs you literal zero. Plus, <laughs> yeah. you gain all this, like, vast knowledge of the world. Right. Yeah. In that case, magic looks ridiculously expensive. Right. So they're always expensive hobbies and cheap hobbies. Uh, but so I, like, I, I don't know. Right. You can always make the argument either way that magic is really cheap, like compared to, you know, race cars. Yeah. Magic is like dirty. Right? <laughs> yeah. Compared to like, I don't know, Steven Spielberg and his deep sea water <laughs> exploration or whatever. It's dirt cheap. Yeah. Right. But there are a lot of hobbies you could do for also very cheap. Like I, uh, I bought yeah. Skyrim. For like ten bucks and played it for like a, a hundred hours, right? It's like the return on investment of that is ridiculously high. But yeah, I went to yeah, a movie, really... bought popcorn and a pop, paid thirty dollars for like an hour and a half of entertainment. Ridiculously <laughs> expensive, right? So you can always right. go both ways. But uh, you know, one thing that hasn't changed is Magic over the years has gotten more expensive, which is both good and bad. If you bought in early, you just made a lot of money over the years for doing nothing. But as a new player, the barrier to entry is just like really high now because right. you didn't buy fetches when they were ten bucks. You didn't buy dual land when they were twenty. Uh, you're now mm-hmm. buying them at full retail. So you can always view it both ways, which is why we always get uh, varied opinions on this every time we we talk about. Of course, you see in the well, right. And at the end of the day, it's all hobbies. So it, you know, if comparatively, I mean, even Warhammer 40k. I know a lot of people play that. Uh, I was trying to look through, uh, saw some people on Reddit. Um, again, this is not like concrete. I'll have to do a little bit more for Warhammer. But I mean, you have some people saying, you know, I've been playing 40K for nearly eight years. I've easily spent around $4,000 on the game. That's around $500 per year or $42 a month. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not in the mindset to say if you can't afford Magic, like don't play it because then who's going to play Magic? I mean, there's obviously a huge barrier for a lot of people, and the more people that play, the better it is because people keep playing. You you actually have use for your cards. You have an incentive to go and play the game at F&M or whatever, and you don't have, like, what, two people showing up? So, um, you know, it, it's a hobby just like anything else. It costs money, um, but... When you think about it and you break it down, uh, maybe more people with with numbers in front of them may lean towards, like you said, Seth, if you don't want to play standard, just wait or look at another format like modern where, okay, the the average cost of a deck is a lot. It's $1,000. That is a lot up front. But you get to play that deck for however long you really want to play modern and you have a viable deck that you're going to play. And if you want to change decks, you, you could 
basically trade into another deck and then spend a little bit more or or not based on the deck that you're trading into. So I don't know. Uh, like, like I said, I'm not in the mindset to say if you can't afford it, you know, don't play. Uh, I'm just saying from a hobby perspective, it's pretty comparative to a lot of uh, other hobbies. But the caveat here is that there's a lot of return on your cards, uh, more so than some other uh, hobbies out there. Um, so I don't know. What do you think, Seth? We haven't heard from you. Uh, I agree with I agree with you that for me, the, the fact that there is a return on the cards is a big deal. But at the same time, Richard does have a fair point that not everyone thinks the way I do and the way you do, unfortunately, Jazz. And yeah, if, yeah. if you don't, if you don't have that financial mindset and you see 500, 800, a thousand dollars, especially when that's connected to Magic Online, which it's gotten better recently and people are more comfortable with spending money on digital products, but there's still somewhat this uh, attitude of I'm not really getting anything tangible for this money. I'm getting like bits of computer code or whatever. Why would I? Yeah. spend money on that so i i can understand why people feel that way because not everyone thinks the way we do unfortunately um i think that if for me that's the correct way to think like to realize that you are even if you're buying these cards to play a game it really is an investment and you can get a decent percentage of your investment back which lowers the cost but there still is that big initial investment that's necessary which makes it hard for new players to jump in um one other thing I wanted to mention, Richard, you mentioned Wizards being able to do more with their IP in the digital front. The thing is, what in Wizards' 20-some year history would possibly give you faith that they could make a good digital product? You could have spun the question around and said, what in Blizzard's history has given them the tools to make a good TCG? Nothing, right? But they're able to do it, right? Like, you know, their, their expertise was in video games, and they managed to make a card game online. Right. Wizards expertise is in card games, but they haven't managed to make a card game online. Right. Like one is a better company than the other, I guess. But, you know, theoretically, they should be able to do it. They, they're just not able to. Right. And I mean, like, that's what good companies do. Right. They branch out in other areas and they're able to succeed. Right. You can see that with like just Google or like Amazon or things like that. They just like branch out in totally random places and they succeed. Um, but, you know, you see, like, Star Wars, like, Star Wars is friggin' everywhere, right? Battlefront, uh, toys, comics, like, that IP is everywhere. There's no reason why Magic couldn't do the same thing, but, you know, the company's just not able to execute. Um, because, you know, the Magic universe is very interesting, and there are very cool uh, fantasy aspects that, you know, what probably drew us into the game initially, right? And they're not really utilizing that, so that's... That's where I was going with that comment. Yeah, I, for me, that's the biggest problem. Like, Wizards is, they're really, really good at making a card game. Like, probably the best in the world at what they do, but they're also really, really bad at doing anything else when it comes down to <laughs> making yeah. it, like, doing computer programs or doing anything else with their with their IP. And you, you made an interesting point. Like, in the world we're living in now, this, like, fast-paced mobile uh, esports world, how long can traditional magic from 1993 where you go to your local gaming store for five hours at a time, like how long can that survive? 
And you're probably right that it would be way better to have Magic be a all or mostly online Hearthstone esport oriented product. But I just don't have any faith that Wizards can get there. Like I, I don't have any faith that they can make it happen. Unfortunately. Yeah, and it is it's tough too because while it would be good to it would be good, and that's probably the most successful way to do it to make it mostly online. But you do you're you're going to lose the face to face gaming, you know, the value you get there, where you're actually sitting across from someone live. And I guess they do that in Hearthstone. I you know you have a computer screen and you're kind of still sitting there, but it's not really the same. You know, it's 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 a different thing. Like it's a different experience sitting, having the cards there, shuffling. You know, looking at someone's face to try and you know, gauge some sort of information. I mean, that's just, I mean, to kind of get rid of that would be a shame. Uh, but and unfortunately, like you, like you said, Seth, it is leaning towards a lot, them being more successful to be more digital. And I guess to be fair, poker has been thriving over the past yeah. 10 years. And that's a very similar, like the way you play poker is the way you'd play a magic tournament. And that has been doing fine. Although at the same time, many of those people come from digital poker. Like that's where this new breed of poker superstar has come from grinding games in their dorm room on, on online poker. And you, we see that to some extent with magic, but the problems with digital magic limit that opportunity. Like the amount of great moto players that end up on the pro tour, you can count them on a pretty small, like Reduke, uh, Brad Nelson. It's a pretty small group of people that were big moto grinders. When in the poker world, that's very common to have people start off that way. Hell, if they could get it to that point where it's like that in poker, I think we'd be uh, in a good spot. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, that would obviously, the first step would to be make the digital product that good. So, I don't know. Like I said, it was interesting to compare this stuff, uh, like magic as a hobby, to other hobbies. Um, you know, where your cost is, where, like, how much return you're getting. Just in, you know, value, like, just for having fun, having a deck to be able to play, like a modern deck. Again, $1,000 up front is a lot. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, but... You have that deck for X amount of time. Any time you want to go play Modern, just like Legacy. Legacy, really huge upfront cost. I mean, you could play the same deck. I mean, Richard, you know, you've been playing your deck. I mean, you could play that at Legacy anytime you want. So uh, to, to answer your question a little more thoroughly, um, in the comments section, if you want to get a 60-inch TV with a PS4 and a couple games, go for it. I mean, if, if Magic's not doing it for you, Go get the 60-inch TV and PS4. You're, you you have all the pros that you and that you have with getting a PS4 and some games. Um, you know, just just do what you feel you're getting the most value in. And if you don't feel like that's magic right now, then invest in the 60-inch TV and PS4. I mean, just just think about you know if you if you go that route, like I said in the poll in the survey that IGN done IGN did in 2005, you're going to be spending a lot of money on that too. So on average, I mean, I don't know. At the same time, I, I just don't want to like. I want to give some perspective because I think being exclusionary right off the bat, where oh, if you don't want to spend a thousand dollars on a modern deck, don't play. That that's not really where I want to be because if you said that to anyone or everyone that wants to play Magic: The Gathering, there's just a diminishing amount of people that are going to play the deck. They're going to say, okay, I won't, and they're going to go play Hearthstone, and that's just X amount of people less that are going to play Magic. So. And I want this deck, or I want this game to survive. It's been surviving this long, so 
if we keep costs down, and I think they're taking the steps to do that with the reprints. Uh, they're definitely doing a lot more than they used to do. Um, you know, Modern Masters product and all that. They're definitely doing enough where they, they're trying to uh, keep the cost down and keep people playing. So any, any kind of final thoughts on that? Again, really good questions. Really, really good questions. This is kind of a random statement, but it'd be interesting if you could figure out what the price point is at which people start caring. Uh, because every time interesting. we post a legacy article or a vintage article, there are always like tons of comments about people uh, calling other people bad names for spending you know, $500 on digital objects, right? Because you're just paying for bits, like Seth said. However... Yeah. I never see such comments when I read like a League of Legends forum or anything where people are actually paying $10 for straight up uh, skins, which give your characters a different visual look, but do absolutely nothing for the game, Mm -hmm. right? And no one ever calls anyone out for wasting money on things like that, right? So I believe there's some threshold at which it becomes real money versus, you know, just you know, fake money for, for fun purposes. Right. And I think that's where all the hate comes from for Magic Online because you're spending $500 for fake objects, which is apparently above the threshold. But, you know, spending $20 for DLC that does nothing, you know, just a pack of skins or, you know, like an icon, right? Like all, all the stuff that doesn't really do anything to further your game experience, um, you know, aside from visual. Uh, but people have no problems with that. So, right. So there's some like psychological maybe, thresholds maybe, here. Yeah, that I th- causes that's a, a problem. Really, that's a really, really good observation because, like, what if you know maybe it's just easier to stomach because you're spending ten dollars on a skin here, you buy a hero here, you buy a skin there. It's kind of spread out. Yeah. But I, I would really wonder like how much more of a pushback there would be if like League of Legends was saying you got to spend like five hundred dollars up front or something like that. Because, I mean, you're, you're essentially spending the same amount of money over X amount of time on League of Legends where, you know, all those skins and all those characters all of a sudden add up. I mean, I know, obviously, throughout that, you get that IP, like the, the points yep. that you spend on characters and they're essentially free because you're playing. But I mean, you're still spending a lot on League of Legends when, you know, if you were to look back on it and tally it all up. So I, it, it's interesting. Go ahead, Seth. The other aspect, I think, that comes into play with that is... Magic players, a lot of the people that have those complaints are from the paper world, and for some reason, their minds are conditioned to think that the pieces of cardboard that physical magic cards are printed on are actually worth something more than the digital programming that that is on Magic Online. For some reason, we delude ourselves and don't realize that really when it comes down to it, even uh, like physical magical ca- magic cards are just as worthless as the digital cards. You, how much is that piece of cardboard worth? It's not worth anything. But for some reason, because you can actually like hold it in your hand and stick it in your binder, it feels like it has some intrinsic value uh, more so than the digital product. So I think we're uh, paper magic players for some reason have this disconnect where magic online isn't seen as real and spending money five hundred dollars on a deck there it seems like you're throwing that money away, but but for some reason, they don't see buying the physical cardboard cards the same way, even though really it's the same thing. There's no intrinsic value in that piece of cardboard. Right, that is funny because, I mean, if you look at it like that, then you really must not like Hearthstone because <laughs> there's no way to get that money back. No, because Hearthstone's like a couple bucks here or there, right? If you spend a couple bucks on Magic, it gets you nowhere. Like if you yeah, could somehow true. pay $5 a day and somehow play competitively every day, 
Like at the at the end of a couple of months, you'd have a competitive standard and then modern deck, but you just can't yeah. do it incrementally. It's like binary, right? Goifs or no, right? It's like four hundred dollars or no, right? It's like if not, then you play something suboptimal. Whereas, right. like I don't know, like the other games, you can like grind arena, and you, when you play arena, you you get you're getting the full experience. You're not handicapped against anyone when you're playing for free, playing arena and grinding money or grinding uh, gold. So. Like part of it is incremental, you know, incremental accruement of your assets. Whereas magic is just like you need the whole deck or nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, it's it's a good project because a lot of more people are asking. So I finally like am sitting down and trying to kind of get a law of averages, and it's just interesting to see like how many different things add up when you look at them, uh, you know, right next to each other. So I. I think the the key is is exactly what you said, Richard. It would be interesting to see like what the threshold is because to a golfer, maybe like sixteen hundred and fifty dollars a year is like that's good, you know, maybe that's fine for them, you know, but for other people, it's like, whoa, that's I mean that's a lot. You could buy a, a magic deck for a thousand dollars and you're good for a few years. like I bet you so. most people don't know they spend that much, <laughs> right <laughs> like They're just like, oh, I just spent five dollars a week. Did you know that at the end of yeah. the year? You spent three hundred dollars on this. Like, whoa, what? Like, I bet you yeah. most people don't even know. Yeah, maybe uh, it's time to cut out some uh, Dunkin' Donuts uh, <laughs> coffee across the uh, <laughs> x amount of days. So, uh, yeah, no, but yeah, I mean, again, you can't. Obviously, it's right. You have a right to complain. Obviously, it is expensive, just like a lot of other hobbies are expensive. But I think you know. There there are steps that are being taken. Obviously, maybe it's not like really obvious and in your face, but I think they're starting to take the steps necessary to, you know, do a lot more than they were at, you know, years ago. I mean, they're definitely starting to reprint some stuff. And I mean, again, it's it's a hobby. And, uh, you know, if it's not doing it for you, if you feel like you're spending too much, you'd rather play video games or League of Legends or Hearthstone or whatever. I mean, do that. Um, hobbies are supposed to be fun. And hobbies, for the most part, you don't really get a lot of return on uh, investment in the hobbies. But, you know, Magic does have a pretty good return, uh, all things considered, on paper anyway, and ma- and digital. So I, don't I think that you. wraps Ho- up. Hobbies is not for having fun. It's for asserting my superiority over others and calling <laughs> them plebes. <laughs> I don't know what, what world you're from. Yeah, true. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you're, you're definitely the guy that... Uh, Gets that sly emote in at the end of a Hearthstone uh, game, aren't you, Richard? I'm the guy that puts the offensive GG. <laughs> I like GG before I even declare attack. Is that a perfect <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's one other little quick question that we got uh, amongst the, the questions. Uh, Patrick Osterman, I have one foil KTK Bloodstained Mire. Should I sell, trade it now, or keep it assuming the foil fetches don't go down? Uh, Yeah, I mean... Yes. Foil fetches are a great place to sit your money. I yeah. would not worry at all about holding on to it. That said, I would expect that to see real gains, you're probably going to be holding it in years rather than a few months. So if you think right. so to see any real gains, you're going to be committing to it for at least the midterm and the long term. So if you think you want that money, you're not going to it's not going to appreciate much in the next six months to a year. So you could sell it now. But over the long term, holding foil KTK fetches is great. Yeah, I agree with you, Seth. Um, basically, everything you said is exactly right, I think. <laughs> Very good job. <laughs> great, great answer. Um, so there's your answer, Patrick. Uh, thank you for the question. 
Um, I totally agree. Yeah, uh, foil stuff rarely. I mean, it's not often that foil stuff really gets affected by much. I mean, even other foil printings, it's kind of weird. Uh, but then you get that weird disparity sometimes. But, um, gentlemen, I think this was a really good cast. I think we covered everything. It was great discussions. I'm really glad to get your guys' take on uh, some really awesome uh, questions and comments. Uh, again, thank you all so much for, for asking that and you know sparking this discussion. Um, yeah, I will be trying to follow up as best I can, uh, gathering as much data as I can, and we'll we'll look at it. I mean, we'll definitely have Magic uh, comparing, you know, comparatively to other hobbies, um, whether it be golf, Warhammer, uh, board games, uh, video games. Um, so it'll be very interesting. Uh, should should hopefully answer a lot of the questions, or at least have you should have the data right in front of your face. Um, I think uh, Richard said it best. Maybe I think the information would be very good for people to have in front of them. So, any last minute things before we run out the door? No. Uh, even though it's going up after Thanksgiving, uh, everyone hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, that Thanksgiving is true. Weekend. Yeah, and Black everyone, Friday. Get your get your sales on. Yeah, get your sales on. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Um, we'll try to get the <laughs> cast up on Friday if uh, we're all still not in a coma, but uh, <laughs> we'll do our best. So uh, be safe out there. Enjoy your Black Friday. Uh, we'll do this next time. Uh, this is the crew signing out.